Mary Burby, Department of Botany at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. So can you give me a brief history of, of Sarcosoma globosum? So Sarcosoma globosum is rare. It's rare all, all over the world. And uh, where it's been found usually has been in northern climates. So the fact that it's showing up near Prince George makes sense. It typically is associated with spruce trees, and um, historically, it was most common in the Nordic countries in areas of forests that were grazed by cattle. Yeah, and you had mentioned as well that it's uh, mycorrhizal. Does that mean that it's a, it um, almost like feeds and grows an area where there are dead leaves and, and kind of decomposed nutrients for them to grow with? Well, actually, there are, there are two possibilities here. So it, the fungus, what it's actually doing isn't known right now, and that's partly because it's so rare, it's hard to study. But the two possibilities are both taking on roles that are really important for forests. So one possibility is, as you pointed out, it could be taking advantage of dead material in the forest, and that means basically its role would be breaking down detritus, leaves, and and wood and things like that and recycling nutrients. The other possibility is that it's mycorrhizal, and that actually means that it's associated with living trees and it's in a mutually beneficial relationship with those trees. What it would be doing is it would be growing on the roots of the trees and extending into the soil, and uh, the part that's extending into the soil would be bringing in mineral nutrients for the tree well, the fungus benefits from the tree by taking sugars. As we mentioned, this is extremely rare. And in a study that you shared with me, or a paper that you shared with me, the prime cause for decline is changing land management. And then, and I'm quoting this, above all the practice of clear cutting old growth forests. So um, you mentioned it, you mentioned it briefly, but could you tell me where in the past this species uh, has flourished? Well, most of the reports are from are from the Scandinavian countries, and I think that's partly because it's in Sweden and Finland and perhaps Norway that people have looked for it. And what people noticed is that they weren't finding it in areas after clear cuts. But nobody's been nobody's seen this fungus come back after a forest has been logged. So when it's logged, as nearly as we can tell, the fungus disappears. It could be that it's growing under their underground and we simply don't see it, though. Um, something about the mycelium that it basically has this um, like a lifespan of a few decades as well. So could it be possible that there was existence of this unrecorded some decades ago? And now, because as you mentioned, um, because the, the, the ground is clearer, you can see more that that there has been like that perhaps there's just been undocumented um which is cauldron which is also the the kind of uh layman's term for 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 sarcosoma globosum do you think that that could be that it, that it's actually been here for a few decades we but we've just not seen it or recorded it yes i think that's absolutely a good possibility and by the way i really like that common name because if you look at a picture of the fungus that's exactly what it looks like it I find it to be actually terrifying looking. It's like, especially the, the gel. But j just as a question that I had, so you mentioned that it, um, b basically that we can see it now, I guess because of logging or that perhaps that it's grown off of the root of a tree. It likes to be in, in areas near spruce. What's the difference in protection of biodiversity of an ecosystem, such as an old growth forest in Northern BC, 
between logging an area and clear-cutting an area? So from the perspective of this fungus, I don't know if it makes a difference. But in general, with some fungi, the um, selective logging means that there are populations of the fungi that remain underground. So you know when you're out in the woods, most of the year in BC, you don't see any mushrooms. But every step that you take underneath your foot, there are probably 50 different kinds of fungal mycelia which are present there. And clear-cutting means that many of those kinds of fungi simply can't make a living. The fungi are dependent on the sugar from trees. When the trees are gone, the fungi, uh, are they die. If there are a few trees that remain, then at least some of those fungi might remain in place. And so some of the important ecosystem functions of the fungi presumably can be carried out, which include breaking down and recycling litter or farming mutually beneficial partnerships with trees. But uh, the truth is there's, there's a, there are a lot of questions about fungi and fungal diversity and what level of fungal diversity is needed to maintain tree, tree health. So the, the, uh, a clear answer about whether clear cutting is damaging or not to fungal populations and whether the damage will later hurt future forest growth those questions are hard to answer. Mm-hmm. What do you think that it denotes to find witch's cauldron in, in northern BC? What do you think that denotes of the health of the forest that it was found in? Well, it probably means there wasn't clear-cutting right there. If there was clear-cutting, that would be interesting too because it would tell us something new about the fungi. It certainly suggests that the that the soil hasn't been disturbed greatly why is this species of fungi important to the old growth forest of northern BC? There are some sta- some common functions that that species might have, so it probably is contributing to the overall picture of how nutrients move in the forest. And it's probably also providing food for some of the microscopic or just slightly bigger than microscopic insects, and uh, other arthropods in the soil. They love to eat fungal mycelium. Um, so it's, it's a participant, but it's very difficult to judge whether or not its participation would be missed if you were to suddenly make it disappear. On the other hand, I'd miss it if it disappeared. I think it's really amazing that the first example of this fungus has just recently been found, and for, this is the first time for our whole province, and that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it maybe that that seems to be part of it too. Is that it seems like it's almost like hopeful, especially after COVID and uh, and just you know changes that have been happening long before, you know, climate change was was really even like a political, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a political discussion or that, you know, governments were making promises, you know, that things were on such a decline. So I I kind of almost feel like maybe I'm a bit Pollyanna about it, but it does seem hopeful and exciting. Mm, I agree. It might just be our perspective as human beings, but that's okay. It is Mm -hmm. wonderful to see something that's unexpected and rare pop up not too far away from where we live. As I mentioned earlier, I would 
really like a specimen of that fungus to go into our museum. You see, if the specimen, the physical specimen is there, it's available for anyone to borrow and look at anywhere in the world. And also the the data that are associated with that specimen are available all over the world. So it means that if somebody is trying to put together a picture of where the fungus exists, well, its um, geographical coordinates are in our database, and it's combined with other databases. So if you want to, you can get a map of all of the pinpoint pricks where this fungus has been found anywhere in the world where there's a specimen. Uh, actually, it is. So um, it gets it gets a little bit complicated, but that's really the amazing thing about databases nowadays. So biological information becomes uh, becomes something not just a single specimen, but it becomes a part of a larger picture of a species distribution. If you're interested in taking a look, you um, the the website I usually use is one called um, Michael Portal, and you can, it's a little bit awkward, but not really. In order to find a specimen, you need to go to the search page and uh, you just type in the species that you want. And then you can have the option of getting a, a Google Earth map view of all of the localities across the world from Herbaria, that's collections of dried specimens that have donated information to this common website. And it's pretty amazing. Dr. Burby, could you explain for our listeners on this audio format what Sarcosoma globosum or witch's cauldron actually looks like? Well, it's very easy to overlook because it's the color of wood and soil and duff. But when you look closely, there are a couple things about it that I that are spectacular. One is, as cup fungi go, this one's relatively large. So I was, I've never seen it in the wild, although I'd love to. But I've read that it's between 5 and 10 centimeters in diameter. So it's not a tiny little thing. And the outer surface looks to me like a sort of a cup-like wrinkled sack, dark brownish in color. And then the inner surface, which is the part that's producing the spores for reproduction, is kind of a black a uh, little bit shiny, and uh, it looks very much like a witch's cauldron, so the common name is really wonderful. And it has like a almost a gel in the center, at least in the photo that I saw, it looks like it has, yeah, like gel in the center. Is that, a, is that, is that an actual is it an actual cup, or is it just that that's how it appears on the surface of it? It is cup-shaped. And most of the middle part is full of, it's full of, of uh, fungal threads, but they're secreting some sort of a gelatinous material, I think. So it's basically pretty jelly-like inside. And then it's got a layer of spore-producing structures on the, on the outer surface. How cool. Um, okay. So, uh, and also, I guess one last question, because I just want to bring it back to forests before before we go, is if someone were to come across a very interesting looking mushroom in the forest, what is the best thing for them to do? Like, what's what's just the, 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 the smartest and also um, most, uh, I guess, kindest thing to do if they find a mushroom that they're interested in, but they don't know anything about? Well, um, one thing they don't have to worry about particularly is touching it. So there are very few mushrooms that cause any kind of an allergic reaction but just by touching them. Um, it depends on where they want to go with it. 
with that fungus, really. If they're interested in contributing fungi to a museum, then they would need to do a little bit of reading about how you make sure that you take enough notes about locality and uh, um, conditions where the fungus was growing so that the specimen would be useful. And then it's important to take all parts of a single specimen and in some way dry it, dry it as quickly as possible under low heat because that preserves the material pretty well. If they're interested in if they're interested in getting an opinion about what species they have, one of the things that you can try is take a picture with a cell phone and then post the picture to a website called iNaturalist. And sometimes you can get an identification of a mushroom just by posting a picture. It's not super reliable, though, because the, in, the total number of identified mushrooms is pretty small, so you might not be able to identify a particular species very accurately that way. Mm-hmm. But you might get a good idea. Very it's kind cool. of fun. Yeah. Or in the case of, uh, of the witch's culture, and post it on Facebook and say, what is this? <laughs> and then let Facebook light up with people wanting to know more and help you figure it out as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, Well, Dr. Burby, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Uh, This has been extremely enlightening. And, um, and yeah, I, uh, I really and I I hope that I find a very interesting mushroom when I go looking next. Oh, I hope you do too. That would be a hoot. I would let you know you would be the first person I would email just to let you know. All right. All right. (laughs) Okay. Take lots of pictures. I will. I'll take lots, lots of selfies too. (laughs) Bring home, bring home a specimen. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, here's hoping. I feel like I'm just going to go out there for two hours and find it. I've, I, I, you know, I think that it's a very, 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 very slim chance. But now I'm, uh, I'm just intrigued, and uh, I think I'm going to do that uh, one of these uh-huh. afternoons this week. Fantastic. Great. Okay. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye.